my god, he's doing some weird slow motion ninja moves. My name is Matthew Kroll. And it's nice that we share the same sun. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film After Sun. It, and when we say sun, we're talking about the, the giant ball of uh, hot flaming liquid molten. What is the sun made out of, by the way? I don't, uh, it's a lot of Capri Suns <laughs> yeah, a lot smashed of Capri Suns. together. Yeah. Um, that liquid, that liquid <laughs> cool. Actually, weirdly enough, mm-hmm. weirdly enough, weirdly. I bet you the inside of the sun probably looks like those graphics that the Capri Sun kids used to melt into. Oh, I don't remember. Uh, we didn't have Capri Suns growing up in New Zealand, so. Uh, Coincidence. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> but now we do. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Uh, uh, thank you for joining this Capri Sun um, sponsored episode. Uh, this was an episode that we, as is every year, as Matt likes to make fun of, we push our best of list as far down as possible, down to the pit of our stomachs where yep. we can no longer think about it for the sole purpose of making sure that we see a few of the films that have been voted, talked about, nominated, uh, discussed, or even just come up via uh, threads of our listeners. And I asked that question a couple of weeks ago. What is the film? What are the films that we have missed that we should catch up on? Unanimously, After Sun was the one that was pe- that people were talking about. Charlotte Wells directorial debut. Matt, I feel like you have others that you would like. Are there, no, Matt, I was know, just going to say. I, I was question. Just... What? what other movies do you want to get in before our top 10 list? None. I want to do the thing. None. I want to do the thing. But I will say, uh, you all did this. You all did this. You all did this. Yeah. You, you, you made this episode possible. Brought to you by viewers like you. Yes, yeah, like that Time uh, Or list listeners. I mean, you can view, if you want to just stare at the thumbnail the entire time, the, the, the image that'll go with this that I just finished two minutes before we started recording, uh, feel free. Um, but we are an audio normally medium. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. Um, Just in case you thought you were missing any content, don't worry, you're not. So there's no movies you want to see before the before the list. No, nothing, nothing. You feel like we've missed? Uh-uh. Nothing like you don't want to add the menu. <laughs> uh, no. No. It's, I I enjoyed the menu quite a bit. I don't think it's going to make it on my top ten. All right. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. There's a, there's a few others that I actually. Would... There's only I don't want to spoil it. There is. Oh well. Oh, we I can't. We can't put it on the thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's going to go in my honorable mentions. Uh, but Violent Night. Violent Night. See, we didn't do Violent Night. You want to? Yeah. You want to? You want to get Violent Night? A little in late. A little late for that. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, I I literally bought the Blu-ray so I could have it for next holiday season. Okay. Have you like, seen it's it? Already, you didn't, it's already. Didn't, it wasn't a blind buy. Oh no! I bought. I I saw it. Yeah. I, we, uh, me and a bunch of friends went, and uh, it was one of the best times I've had of the movies in a very long time. There you go. Uh, yeah, no, I'm trying to think if there's really anything else. Uh, well, I mean, well, perhaps the Oscar, the Oscar yeah, I know the Oscar list. Yeah, yeah, perhaps the Oscar. The Oscars were uh, announced this week, or the nominees, the Oscars were announced for the 2023 award ceremony. And Matt, these are the best picture nominees. I know you haven't uh, gone through these, but I thought maybe we could just take a minute just to see because there are a couple of these that I think we should do as well. Sure. Uh, Top Gun Maverick, we have obviously seen. Any thoughts mm-hmm. about that being a Best Picture nominee? Uh, we, we discussed it briefly. Oh, being... is it the token not fancy movie, even though it's the one that made the most money that is now in the Best Picture category? Well, wow. there, there is a movie that made more money than it uh, on the list as well. Yeah. Uh, Woman Talking, the Sarah Polly film, which I'm uh, eagerly uh, anticipating because uh, I loved... Uh, both her first two movies, Take This Waltz and uh, Stories We Tell. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, uh, the most nominated movie this year, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, yeah, awards. yeah. 
the Banshees of Inishirin, uh, Id Sheeran, that mm-hmm. is. Uh, Triangle of Sadness, which is what That's we- what I want to see. Yes, tri- the Ruben Allstead film, uh, I have heard, uh, is scatologically depraved and will want to, want to watch out. Mm-hmm. Something that is not scatologically depraved is The Fablemans, uh, followed by All Quiet on the Western Front, the German adaptation of the famous book. I actually picked up the book just by happenstance a couple of weeks ago uh, from a secondhand bookstore. So I, I maybe will read it. I'll read it and then we'll... Uh, I hope you're going to read it if you bought it. I I buy a lot of books that I don't read. Oh, Uh, Avatar, Way of Water, Elvis, and Tar uh, round out the nominees. Any anything jumping out at you there? There's obviously a few we haven't seen yet. Or look, I I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care about what the Oscars sort of say. I I think we've kind of gotten to that point. But I will say this: I don't care about any of the individual ones here. One thing I really do like, not that I didn't like them, I just it's the Oscars, so I'm having a hard time getting pumped. Um, one thing I do like is how unabashedly weird <laughs> this selection of films is. I, I love that everything, everywhere, all at once is the front runner. Yeah, that's and, a, that and, is an unusual, uh, unusual way. But like Triangle of Sadness, everything, everywhere, all at once, um, Avatar <laughs> and, and, and Top Gun. Well, Tar, no, Avatar tar and Tar. Like, there's two yeah, Tars. T- yeah, there's two Tars. Tartar, yeah. Avatar, Tar. Um, Man, could you imagine if they brought Lydia Tarr to Pandora? Uh, it would <laughs> scandal. There's scandal left we and right. Have we had an episode? We haven't had a moment in Avatar where we know what the music of Avatar is, right? Like, what is what the? Do you mean? What is oh, the, like what do you, what, what do, do the, what Navi... Is the Navi music? There has been uh, chanting, sure, but uh, I don't know if we've ever gotten like a, a full Navi symphony. I don't. I don't believe so. Um, um, yeah, no. I. I. I think this is a nice eclectic list. Um, uh, I. I really do think. This one's going to be a weird one. I I would like everything everywhere all at once to win, and mm-hmm. it seems to have a lot of groundswell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of more best picture Oscary winner film type movies on this list um, that could that could top it. I um, think if you're if you're looking if you're a bidding person and you were looking and you wanted my odds on this, I think the four movies that this is going to come down between. Uh, are everything everywhere all at once, which I think is the clear front runner. Tar, which I think is the traditional front runner, as in like this is a movie that would probably win if it wasn't uh, if it was an ordinary year and everything everywhere all at once wasn't sweeping up the groundswell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Banshees of Inisherin has a has a sort of fighting chance on the outside, and I think the Fablemans might pull in the sort of um, the the you know the Spielberg acolytes. Uh, Do you want to know? You want to know the Vegas odds? You what are the Vegas odds? Right now, the Fableman is winning at five six, fifty four point five percent. Everything, everywhere, all at once, six four, which is forty percent. The Banshees is four to one. Yep, twenty uh, percent, and Tar is nine to one. Is is that the order uh, of 10. the? Is yeah. that the favorite. So so the four I was kind of picking were kind of the four favorites. Yeah right? yeah yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's see what happens now. That uh, obviously the awards are on March the twelfth. Typically, we have done every Best Picture nominee. Uh, I will shout out the International Feature, uh, feature Films, uh, which is includes. All Quiet on the Western Front, Argentina 1985, which was recommended to us and uh, asked for us to do at one point as well. The mm-hmm. Quiet Girl, Close, and EO, the donkey film, which I've been ca- uh, keen to see. Um, so, A different donkey film than Banshees of Inishir. True, true, true. That is true. Um, and uh, because I think this is a good tie-in to the episode that we're going to talk about uh, today, uh, why don't you just quickly go through the best actress and finally the best actor, because the actor from the film we are talking about is nominated. Uh, mm-hmm. This is I'm just going to read everything on this list, but... Uh, 
but for Best Actress, it's Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Anna Armas for Blonde, Kate Blanchett for Tar, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and this was the interesting one, Andrea Riseborough for Two Leslie. This was an interesting film because Two Leslie is a film that came out, it was an independent release that came out uh, quite a while ago that I think not a lot of people saw, but there was this groundswell of... Uh, support from big time from from name actors i think uh, edward norton tweeted about it all of a sudden gwyneth paltrow tweeted about this movie all of a sudden and they were talking about how it was one of the greatest forms greatest performances they'd seen ever um and so suddenly this movie had this sort of like um i don't know what you call it guerrilla marketing tactics or something like that in in the push to get through any favorites there for you uh in that list uh, honestly, uh, I would probably, I mean, it's either Michelle Yeoh or Kate Blanchett. Yeah. I, I, I think, feel I think like the Fableman's uh, Michelle Williams has a outside chance on that as well. I, I don't know. And the Armist is not a bad pick, although it's just, it's, no. it would be an interesting one because it's a bad movie. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, I, it is possible for the Fableman's to sweep. That would be uh, really because uh, remember our episode on the whole thing. The what? Remember our episode on that whole thing. Which, what about? Well, none of us dug the movie. Oh, I know, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, like the the the. It's the. <laughs> this is what sucks about the Oscars. It's the right time for Steve and the right film for Steven Spielberg to win Best Picture, and I, that could make other things sort of move around. Too. I, I I I you know Spielberg is always gonna be a contender, but I think. My th- reading of what the Oscars are this year would be that Spielberg's time is over and he's getting a nomination because it's great, but he's already won for uh, Saving Private Ryan. And uh, I think he's, has he won for something else as well? I feel like he has. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like they, th- this is almost like the last, the last one for him for the very same reason. And uh, yeah. I think that's probably why. I think, I don't know. I think in those circles, again, we're all guessing. Yeah, it's all, like, it's all, and, and it also doesn't matter. Yeah. The best um, commercial for movies. Uh, the best actor award, because this leads into this. By the way, uh, although I haven't seen many of the films on that list, uh, my favorite title of the entire uh, award season will, of course, be the best nominee for Best Animated Short, My Year of Dicks, because I hope that that wins, just so we can say that out loud um, mm-hmm. gleefully uh, on this podcast. Uh, but uh, nominees for Best Actor are Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inisherin, Bill Nighy for Living, and Paul Mezcal for Aftersun. Any any favorites uh, from there? I, I, uh, we've only seen, you've seen three of these. I actually have only seen two of these. Uh, hmm. I haven't seen The Whale. Yep. Um, I would, whoa, okay. Huh, yeah, probably Colin Farrell. Probably Colin Farrell. Yeah, I mean, he won the Golden Globe for it, so it's a... Yeah, I mean... It's funny, Austin Butler. Yeah, he's got a, not a schlub in this category. No, I feel not at all. like he by the by not even by the end of it. By the first twenty minutes, I was like, oh yeah, this dude's Elvis. Like, <laughs> like there's no and again, not that I had a crazy tie to Elvis or anything, but like uh, you bought it and yeah. he did a great job at it. So I I still need to see that film. Um, but Paul Mescal is nominated for After Sun, uh, the movie that we are discussing tonight. Matt, could you tell us? For which movie uh, the IMDb description is for Charlotte's... Oh, my God. I'm, Whoa. I think there was a word salad coming out of my brain. Um, for <laughs> After Sun, tell us what the IMDb movie synopsis is. Movie go now, yeah, please. Movie go now, please. 
Sophie reflects on the shared joy and private melancholy of a holiday she took with her father 20 years earlier. Memories real and imagined fill the gaps between as she tries to reconcile the father she knew with the man she didn't. We did get an email about this movie. Do you, do you want to read that now or do you want to read that after? You told me we had to read it after or and I said maybe next time. Okay. Well, I, I'm just I'm kind of maybe it's a fun lead in. I, you, I, that's what I wanted, and then you said no. Well, I thought there was a spoiler in it. I'm sorry. Uh, I think it, I, 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 I might have been mistaken about that. Do you want to read the email? I don't have it in front of me because you told me we weren't going to do it. Oh I'll pull it up. All right. I got, the, I got the email in front of me. I'll read it. All right. You read. Sorry. <laughs> this is coming in from Laura, <laughs> uh, who writes us in. It's been a minute, partly because I've been working on more sits and having less time for podcasts, and partly because yeah. all the award-type films have been delayed by several months to releases here, so I hadn't quite listened to quite a few episodes to avoid spoilers. It does provide the fun experience now where I get to immediately put on an episode after watching something to hear your thoughts on it. So thanks always for the great discussions and episodes. Thank you, Laura. She here mentioned that the next episode will be After Sun so that I write in a quick little review and love letter to it. I originally saw it in August at a film festival here and chose it because it fit with my schedule and I remember liking Paul Mezcal from Normal People. Mm-hmm. I was enamored with the film and Charlotte Wells gave a Q&A afterwards. I really lucked out my choice here. Now, Laura, I remember, didn't didn't she go and see Lady Bird with yes. Greta Gerwig and audience yep. as well? I feel like mm-hmm. there's a pattern repeating here of just yeah. like picking yeah. the good Q&A. So, humble, so, hashtag humblebrag. Good for you. Yeah, uh, I cool. think this film is incredible, especially because I remember thinking as I first saw it, I'm enjoying my time here, but I can't tell if this is amounting to anything. And then that ending hits, and it's as if it unlocks the rest of the film for you. I saw someone describe the sensation of watching it as slowly cutting you open without you noticing, only to turn around and show you what it's done in its last move. It's ingenious to me how Charlotte is able to give you the experience she has of remembering and reflecting by having you uh, do the same once the film is over. Suddenly, all the scenes you were just taking and tie together, they have more weight to them, more pain. I think I actually gasped in the last dance sequence at the end. I don't know the last time a film has made me gasp emotionally like that. Maybe Moonlight, which is probably one of the Mm -hmm. first episodes of yours that I listened to. Fitting. I adore this film. I want to hug this film. I am so excited for Paul's nomination. Though if I had my way, it would be getting best screenplay, director, and picture as well. Frustratingly, this doesn't come out here until another few weeks. Uh, Laura is emailing us from Australia. Uh, But I think this film... I think of this film all the time. It really stuck with me. I'm looking forward to hearing both of your experiences with it, whether it hit you as hard as or lift you wanting more. Happy potting, Laura. Uh, ah, Laura, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, I, I responded to Laura uh, via the email machine. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, this was, it is, this was a very good primer email, I thought, because uh, it sets up a lot of... Well, it sets up like 70% things that I felt while watching the movie and then 30% that I didn't. Okay. Um, but I think this, to Laura's point, this is uh, this is a movie that, um, even though it has a short runtime, mm-hmm. it rewards that runtime. Right. Like, it, it pays off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that that was something that she took from it. I also, um, I also did, uh, really resonate with another thing she said, which is basically like, like sort of we're experiencing the memory. Uh, I, I'm a fan of films like that, that sort of position us in that, in the space of, uh, one character sort of remembering something, which I do feel like this movie, you're, you're in Sophie's, you know, shoes. She's the protagonist. You're looking at it from her point of view, uh, even to the point of the way things are framed and, and, and the information that she sort of gets, 
uh, 11 years old. That's how old she was in the film, correct? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, such a weird age because uh, you're not quite a kid and you're definitely not an adult. You're like, you're just sort of starting to like realize what interpersonal relationships are and like, you know, wanting to be older than you are, but you definitely aren't. Uh, and there's a lot of those feelings going around here. So, yeah, I, I thought this that the Laura's email was a very good sort of primer for my general thoughts, but also just like a good advertisement for the movie. Because, I mean, spoiler alert, you should see this. I mean, you don't need us to tell you that. Like, actually, you told us that. So, you know, this is full circle. You told us to see it. Now I'm telling you to see it. Right. Um, but yeah, no, thank you, Laura, for the email. Uh, I very much appreciate it. We both do. Um, yeah, I don't know. Shahir, what, what did you, did you, or do you side with Laura? Do you, do you, do you go in opposite direction? Are there, is there, uh, you know, modicums of difference? Uh, not at all. I, I 100% agree with Laura's email, which was that this movie absolutely destroyed me. Um, there was, uh, I, I was also, um, you know, I was quite uh, uh, annoyed at myself for my the way I had watched uh, Decision to Leave under different circumstances. And, you know, like how I didn't have enough time for it. And I, I had to watch it in sort of three different chunks in three different formats. Uh, so go back to our episode to, of Decision to Leave to, to hear me uh, bumblefuck my way through that movie. Uh, but in this case, so I, I made a point of like sitting down, planning my time in advance, uh, really clearing the schedule to make sure that I watch this properly through um, in one sitting. And what I what I got was that same sensation that Laura did, which was that there was there was a sort of a strange quality to it because this is a first film from a first filmmaker. And actually, Laura, oddly, um, the the thought that came into my mind because it's an A twenty four film uh, was Barry Jenkins Moonlight, and only to see his name as a producer on the film, and then hearing a DGA conversation with him and <laughs> Charlotte Wells uh, after the fact, where he was actually. Um, instrumental i think his film company pastel uh was instrumental in getting this film made um and there was a quality to it where i was watching going i don't know how this film exists on the page because it's a very there's there's just not a lot happening mm. and it and and on the page i can imagine unless there's a lot of emphasis played on language uh, being evocative it would just read as you know here they are on a holiday. Here they are trying to get their keys for the for the uh, for their room. Here they are, you know, like um, uh, Paul Mescal's character lights a cigarette when and and hums to himself while uh, she is sleeping. Uh, so I was like, oh man, it's really interesting because at the same time as being not a lot on the page, it is there is a lot on the screen, obviously because of the way it's shot. Um, and there were some just really bold choices throughout this film in terms of the way the camera was positioned to both minimize and make uh, Callum, Paul Mescal's character, feel really, really small in certain moments. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was just, at, at first I thought it was beautiful framing, but as the movie kind of got on and we really started getting the sense that something was up with Callum that we weren't quite sure the details of, it really started to click the place. And then there was this, for me... There was just an ever-growing sense of dread about where this film was going to go. Mm. And my concern there was that, you know, first-time film. Uh, I just watched uh, Gian Dalman as well, the uh, uh, the film that won greatest film of all time or that was uh, voted the best film of all time, according to the BFI. And that has kind of um, a sort of similar quality, which is that it's not a lot on the page but it kind of builds to uh, an explosive moment over the course of three hours. And I was kind of worried about what that explosive sensation might be. That was just mm -hmm. what I was expecting. And this, 
film defied those expectations by giving me something that was emotionally devastating, you know, kind of wrecked me by the end of it, but was also quite surprising in a how beautifully visual it was and how um in a way kind of narratively defiant it was because ultimately the film amounts to a series of very tiny moments that narratively don't build up too much but emotionally and through the prism of uh, Fra- uh of um uh Sophie's memory leads to a, to an emotional outpouring of what is ultimately you know and this is the sp- the big spoiler of this movie is the final meeting of these two people and that is the emotionally devastating part of this movie um that this um you know as the song goes uh could be our last dance and i, I just um i the, the thought that i had as i watched the movie was and this is not a um, this is not a dig at anything, but Uh-oh. but the thought I had was that the kinds of movies that won Best Picture many years ago, or you know, the kinds of movies that I kind of grew up loving, um, made small moments feel enormous and uh-huh. yeah. and big and huge. Made really tiny moments, and that's what this movie does. It makes really tiny moments feel enormous. Yeah, this thing takes place on a vacation to a. Uh, a European yeah. club of some kind. Uh, a Turkish holiday, just a hotel yeah. in Turkey. Yeah. Um, and 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 I think that's a quality that I seek out now, and I and maybe as I'm getting older, I kind of think about. And and then there's just a thing to to Miscal's performance and the writing around Callum. There's a moment where he lies down on where he's just kind of sitting uh, after he's purchased a rug. Um, and he's staring at this rug kind of mournfully and I was, and I don't know if it's a place I'm in in my life right now, but I was like, I get it, man. I just, I like, I just, I was Are there. you talking about buying something expensive and no, then being sad no, about no, it? No, 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 not at all. It's just this idea that uh, the, the sensation that I kind of, you know, feel a lot this, like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening in my life. I don't know what's happening in the world. I don't know what's, what's up. And mm-hmm. and just kind of being tired, and you know, and then he takes a moment and he lies down on this rug, and the, and the rug has a lot of meaning to it, mm-hmm. um, you know, like we see him tracing the outlines of it before. We see how much the rug will cost. We know from a conversation with Sophie he hasn't got a lot of money, but he buys it anyway. And then he just kind of looks at it and he's like, I don't know what's happening, and just lays down on it. And I I there was just this thing about it which is like I get it. I don't know. I I just got it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so one thing I will say, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of praise thrown around to this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to start with some negative shit. Okay. <laughs> uh, and there's not a lot. Uh, I will say I had a hard time getting on board for the first 15 or 20 minutes. Okay. Um, uh, something that threw me, and this is a dumb thing that is just a me thing. This is the first thing that's just stupid. And I just want to say like where my, why my mind might have done what it did. Um, the beginning when it's a lot of fast forward and glitchy digital video, mm-hmm. I feel now I haven't used every digital camera on the planet, but I feel like I back in that the time period when this sort of took this movie took place, I used a lot of digital cameras, uh, tape, you know, mini DV or like whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sound effect and the clicking and the noise was completely wrong in my head. Okay, 
and it locked me out where I'm just like, oh God, this is a home movie thing. And like, I kind of, I went in with a sourpuss because of it. Like sometimes, I don't know, does that happen to you, Sheer? Like something will happen that is in your purview of knowledge that is so kind of, even if it's a minuscule thing, but like, you're like, that's wrong. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. We're starting this hour and a half journey. Like, But what, what was, you felt like the representation of the technology? The representation of the technology felt off because I was familiar with the way that it actually sounds and that's not how it sounds or rewinds. Right. Like in a way. Uh, and, 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 and I was thankful that they don't really do much of that throughout the entire movie. But like, again, it is not a big thing. Please do not take it as a slight to this movie. I'm telling you something that bucked me. Uh, as a personal thing. Actually, email us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Is there something at the beginning of a movie that is totally benign and fine that is in the movie, but that has just had you in the first moments of a film be like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, like, you know, and, I'm and, curious. No, no, no. And I get that it was like a, a, a small thing for you, but... Um... What I'm I'm what was my the brain thing? fixates on things. What, but what so, was the what was the thing that that felt wrong? Or as as I said, it was the way that the visuals were represented about like rewinding and fast forwarding combined with the sound effect of what that is and the clicking noises. Okay, uh, it did not ring true to me. It might it probably was, but right. I, I just there was something that just did not uh, connect with me, and right. I was like, but oh, you got okay. over that really quickly. Well, no. So then I was just watching it, and while I was, it was nice, and I was like, oh, okay, this is this is very well shot and like put together. Like I had a, and I don't think it was because of the sound thing. To be perfectly honest, I had a real hard time sort of getting on board. Like it felt like a very apathetical movie in the first twenty-ish minutes. Okay, yeah, uh, I, I think now, that's fair. Yeah. Now I will say, like we like uh, Laura's email. Everything it does is purposeful and building to a moment that that is transcendent, I'll even give it. Right. Uh, I feel like that 20 minutes of apathy feeling, that vibe that I got, was set up, was well worth it, was, was entirely important to the way the movie feels as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, but getting through it... Before I before I realized the movie was smart enough in what it was doing to do the things it was doing for a reason, hmm. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and then as I started realizing how fucking deep and meaningful and powerful and just skillfully this thing is done, uh, I was like, yeah, 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 okay, all right, okay. <laughs> like, And I, I got real on board. I'm trying to think of the moment that I turned, and I don't even know if there is a moment. I think it just gradually, because it was doing it so well, uh, you know, pushed I, me into the positive. I, I, I got to say, the, uh, the scene that I kind of just really loved in terms of and it's funny i was you know uh it's nice to to sometimes have certain thoughts and then have them confirmed by the filmmakers mm -hmm. um but uh there's a scene right at the beginning where sophie is falling asleep and callum is like behind her he takes off her shoes and then just puts her in the bed and there's a problem because there's only one bed uh and so he sort of uh goes outside for a cigarette uh and starts dancing around and there's this and and it's a it's a really it's it's a shot that's held for way longer than it should be, but it kind of it, all you're hearing is this sense that you're hearing her breathe as you're watching him do something, and he's outside of the space where she is breathing, and then um, and then it cuts to him asleep and he is breathing in the same way. Yep. Um, and it was just something about that. It's funny because I'm I'm working on a project and we're having the same conversation about like 
the setup of a movie. And, mm-hmm. and I recall, um, David Simon, again, I, I quote David Simon a lot, uh, but the creator of the wire, and he talks about how, you know, one of the greatest, Amer- greatest novels of all time is Moby Dick. And he says the, the, the thing about Moby Dick is the first, I think hundred pages of it, they're not on the boat, you know, or it, it's, it's them wandering around. It's the setup. And then, and then it eventually becomes that thing. And he said, he was sort of talking about, I, I guess what he was getting at was this idea that, in movies, we sort of have this thing where we've got to rush and get going and like get the story moving. But there's a quality to this, which is that it's unhurried and unflustered. And as long as you get on board at some point, it's, it is worth the journey because all of those moments, you know, like I think we're going to talk about this in the, in our uh, call me by your name episode, um, Hmm. which was that, there are there are movies that are built upon the totality of their small moments. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them where a series, you know, like you don't even realize that these moments matter until we get to the, you know, until we sort of encompass the totality of it. And what's beautiful about this one, uh, you know, I'm jumping all over the place here, but also a little <laughs> bit like Yutumama Tambian, uh, is where the totality of moments add up to something much, 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 much bigger and it has to do with memory and realizing that those moments um, are slowly slipping away from you. Mm-hmm. And, and I, th- I, I think that's amazing for a first-time filmmaker. Uh, it's amazing that she has um, the wherewithal to be that controlled. There's a sequence in here where he's explaining his, uh, his, uh, his 11th birthday where nobody remembers. And it's shot... Uh, through the reflection of a television screen, which is also in front of a mirror. And it gives you this sort of like double image of him. Uh, Even before that, it's, we're watching the rest of the scene yeah. on a camcorder feed to that television until he tells her yeah. to turn it off. And then they sit down and we land on that type of shot. See how much like, she's doing within that one tiny frame. And like, I like that uh, this is, you know, like this hotel room. It doesn't feel like the way I would probably orientate or shoot a hotel room, which is that you'd want to get a really big hotel room so you could have the space to make it feel small. Uh, right. I, I watched this and went, that's a really small hotel room. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's a really, really small hotel room. So, uh, but to come back to that point was that I, I love that this was full of small moments and I love that it had the patience to get, to kind of, lead me along to those moments and let me sort of, you know, um, I guess the phrase is uh, lead a horse to water but can't make them drink. Uh, but, you know, like get me to to drink what this movie was putting down and like trust me that I trust that I would get it. And I did. And and, sure. I, think, and I think that's really beautiful. Uh, I want to talk about details about like what uh, Callum's character is actually going through in this movie in specifics. But but yeah, I just, I, I, I think it's a, quietly devastating and beautiful experience and yeah, beautiful you know, because of all the things that it does that, you know, we all get told as filmmakers, we shouldn't do. Sure. I, I, I will say this. And we're going to definitely get into spoilers. I think after this point, we're about halfway through. So that, that makes sense to me, but the, um, the, I don't know if I want to say, so like when I, I'm going to rewind, this is a movie that I have enjoyed more and more. I mean, the end I was enjoying it, don't get me wrong, but I enjoyed more and more the the more I thought about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, while watching it, to be honest, I didn't quite connect what 
what he was actually going through, like what what um, Callum is it Callum? Yeah, yeah, uh, was actually going through. Um, I knew that there was something odd, and to be honest, I didn't quite understand the dancing thing at the end, even though it did like the it. I I. I got hit with all of the emotions and felt them, I feel like, in the correct way that the movie is trying to get me to do. But I feel like my heart got to the got to the core of this movie faster than my head did. Right. Which is a rarity for my case. Okay. Um, and I, it was really refreshing, to be perfectly honest, yeah. because I, I had all of the emotional resonance, I think, of what was supposed to be, what, what the goal was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't understand why. Right. Uh, and it wasn't until today, about uh, halfway through my day, and I was just on and off thinking about it while I was doing work, and it, and and reasons for things kind of hit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I and do you think this this is sort of a question before I go into what I what I'm thinking? Do you think that there is a somewhat definitive ending to uh, Calum? Like, do you do you, what? What's your read on what happens? So I, I I thought about that a lot, and I and I found th- there's this thing that happened to me, or this thing that I did, which was that it was kind of like when we watched Tar as well, which is that I watched it, and there was, there was so much specificity to the character that I thought, well, this has to be an autobiograph- autobiographical 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 uh, autobiographical story, and and the details must be written from uh, an explicitly authentic place. All right. And so the first thing I did was Google, and now we're into spoilers here, was what happened to Charlotte Wells's father. And <laughs> uh, immediately, that's, that's what I did. And I, and I was like, well, what actually happened? And then like, at some point, I kind of snapped out of it and was like, it doesn't matter what happened to Charlotte Wells's father. Yes, if you listen to interviews with her, I think there is a story. There, you know, she, she lost her father at a young age. There's a photograph of her and her father, which looks very similar to the photograph that's taken in the film. Um, and I, I think I did that because we're searching for answers, right? Like we're searching for definitive answers. Mm. But the film... Just in general. Yeah, in general. Yeah. Like we always want to like know why this dot connects to this dot or we want to connect those two dots ourselves. And... Um, my impression was that, uh, you know, trigger warnings here, but my impression was that Callum had committed suicide at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and my impression was that it happened immediately after they'd left or not long after. Um, oh, see, my impression was the same, except I thought it was much later, but he, they just didn't see each other much. Well, I, I, the only thing I could, I couldn't figure out there is that she's 11 um, why would he not see her um, before that? I, so, but, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, I know. But you know what's interesting? It's, it's sort of like what we bring into it, right? Like I have had uh, once close family members without getting too into it just fucking go away. Right. And then die. Right. Like, like it's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can happen. Yeah. So like I maybe I brought some things into it too because the way the way and again we're deep into spoilers. Um, the way that we kind of get glimpses of it. Um, uh, I, I like the sort of written note on a napkin or written a note or something, but like it felt like that was at a much later time for some reason to me. And again, I don't know if it was. Again, that at that point, I'm so like, again, I'll go heart and head. Like my heart is driving at that point, and I'm not quite like. Yeah. 
figuring out all of the the thread lines correctly, and I'm just sort of going with my gut. Yeah. Um, but that's what it read to me. But it's interesting that you 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 felt that it was like fairly fairly soon after. I I that, that's what I because I felt like the movie was building to something, um, you know, and I, and I thought that it was going to happen while they were on vacation. You know, there's that right. there's that sort of shot of him standing over the. Uh, um, on the balcony uh, edge, just sort of standing over it. Man, they set up Caleb like he's going to die like five <laughs> yeah. times. And I know, you're like, like oh. he walks into the ocean at one point, yeah. um, you know, and you're like, well, is he, are we never going to see him again? Um, but I think at the other, on the other side of it, again, what I really liked is that the movie has the wherewithal to not make this about his passing, but more the memory of the time that she spent with him. Sure. And then I think, the beautiful metaphor of the the sort of the dance party at the end where, you know, like he is this figment, he is this portion of a memory that appears in flashes and will always be there. And, you know, she's trying to make heads or tails of what was going on in his head um, during those moments that they were together. And I think that's, that's, that's more devastating than knowing the details of why he died, which is why I kind of was like, at some point, I was like, I, I it doesn't matter what happened to her father, mm-hmm. you know, like it doesn't matter if this is autobiographical or not. Uh, what matters is what is the film to itself telling me, and and I I think that that quality to it was really again just a really beautiful tell, and so, um, just. Such a wonderful expression of faith in the audience, you know. Like, yeah. you know, well, like it's a really hard thing to do. It's, it's I, like, I have so many people telling me, or so many moments where we're we're being told we have to feed the audience what they want, and we can't offend these people, and we can't do this, and like, you know, like, I I just love that this film was like, no, this is what we are, this is what we do, this is how it works, and and the thing is, the film's resonating as well. You know, like it really, if you go on TikTok or Instagram or, you know, people are really resonating with this movie and for good reason, because it has faith in its audience and it's, it's devastating in a way that is more profound than something, you know, that might've been forced to manufactured. Sure. Well, I mean, uh, oh gosh, that brings up something. Uh, We were just talking about, uh, and by we, I mean work, uh, that we're, we're going to do an extra credits episode eventually on, um, why remakes of video games often look worse or feel worse. Okay. And there's a couple different reasons, but one of them that ties directly to, to I think, what you exactly said is when, when a work is – like there's a certain work that is done because you love it and you loved making it and you sort of crafted it. Then there's certain work that you're doing to – have a alternate goal Mm, (laughs) um and remakes can often be that they'd often get underfunded they often have another thing like they have to switch art styles which makes it whatever i don't want to get too deep into it but there's an ephemeral thing with art with games with movies with i think anything where if not skillfully enough done in a couple different categories you can feel that something is off or you can feel that you, you can feel intent beyond beyond what the story is telling you you can you you get a you get a vibe of of what's happening with the thing it's it's when we sometimes say about movies oh man they seem like they had a blast making this like there's there's that all at once yeah there's a there's feeling to it right you can you get something it's like a secondary hidden layer underneath all of the other layers that they've done and to this movie's credit 
I feel like this rings all the bells of that like crafted with meaning layer. Right. Like, like not and, and not and, and a lot of films are, of course, but this this sort of uh, everything from uh, the way it handles the actual uh, dialogue between Caleb uh, Paul Mes- Paul Mescal and uh, Sophie, who is Frankie Corio, Frankie Corio, mm-hmm. that sounds right. Uh, who did an amazing job? I play. I don't know how old Frankie is, yeah. uh, but uh, she played eleven. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so their their chemistry was amazing. The way it was shot, God, there was a transition. Uh, the uh, it was like three different shots transitioning through the paragliders. Yeah, and I was just like, "Fuck you, movie! This is beautiful. <laughs> you 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 got me." Yeah, uh, and there was also uh, the uh, oh. So beyond the shots, just like the framing of things, Mm -hmm. something I really love and didn't realize again until later, that's how good it was, was the way it made you sort of be in Sophie's shoes and feel what she's feeling, not just around her father, but at the resort. Whenever she's around the the bigger kids by herself, it's slightly out of frame. She's underwater. She's like, there's all different ways to obscure the fact that she is peering into a world some are very overt. She looks to a keyhole or, or a yeah. bathroom stall door at one point. But, yeah. like, th- there's tons of shots that are askew slightly that that don't show the person's whole face that, like, and it's just, it felt so, it felt so much like I remember that age felt. Yeah. Um, and that obviously resonated with me. Uh, I just, I, there's intentionality, I think, going back to the, the buzzword that we were kind of using before. There's intentionality behind everything in this movie, and the, the conglomeration of all of that gives you that feeling of meaning and purpose. And you, ne- like, again, I doubted in the beginning of this movie. Yeah. But then not only did it make me not doubt, mm. I realized why it did the things it did in the beginning of the movie. That then made it pay off even better at the end. Yeah, and with the exception of the sound effects that didn't connect with it. But I don't remember. If I, oh, if that's the, my the, one gripe. Yeah. Then yeah, I was going to say because there's one use of sound effects in this particular film that is amazing, right? And it's, uh, it's obviously where we uh, they do a thing uh, towards the end where they take Queens under pressure mm. and strip out the actual uh, instrumentation and just go to a vocalization version of it, and uh, you get this sort of hollow version where voices are almost just pleading out of darkness um and it's you know it's incredible i the last time i remember a movie using a song that way although i'm sure there's probably been examples since this uh but gus van sant's goodwill hunting where they use baker street um during a fight sequence but like strip out the sort of vocalization to it no they strip out they, they slow it down and make it kind of like Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It's been a minute since I've seen yeah. uh, Goodwill Hunting. But Goodwill yeah. Hunting. You know, I've seen Goodwill f- Hunting too a lot. Oh yeah, uh, Hunting uh, season. Hunting season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, how do you like them apples? Yeah, um, you're just not that good. <laughs> Will <little> Hunting. hunting. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin Smith. Um, <laughs> so let's talk specifically about what could be going on with Callum because we don't we don't know what eventually happens to him, but we know a couple of things. We we can sort of put together some interesting 
clues about him, not in the way and not for the purpose that I initially had when we when I finished the film, which was to, to uncover like the reality of what happened, but just to talk about the sort of circumstances around him that I think are interesting and unique. One is that he is on the precipice of either turning 30 or 31. Uh, it's his birthday while he's there. He turns 30 he there. He turns 30 yeah. there. And he says something sort of quite uh, mysterious, which is that he didn't think he would make it to 30, let alone you know, uh, um, getting any older. Sure. Um, he talks about the fact that as a child, uh, his birthday was forgotten when he was 11 years old, and his mother made his father take him to a... Um, take him to a toy store and pick something out which uh, obviously hurt him in some way mm-hmm. um he picks out a telephone we know that he just turned 30 which means he had sophie when he was 19 years old yep. and he's a young man now you know like he's a he's a young guy you know like he actually gets mistaken for being sophie's brother at the um uh, at, at the resort, well, playing pool. Yeah, playing pool. But he's um, he's talking to, and it's funny. I, you know, the other thing that this movie did was it made me conjure up people I know, and mo- you know, like it really it taps into that. As much as like notes you get are about like tapping into the, uh, um, you know, trying to find the biggest audience or the four quadrants or whatever. I think this thing that this movie does, and maybe it's just me, is that specificity of one person's experience leads you to specificity in your own experience. So just because something's broad doesn't mean it actually connects with you. Like the, the broader something is, the less likely I am, I am to connect with it. But like it, something that's specific to somebody else's experience, even if I've never had that experience, but making me having to empathize or think about the specific moments in that person's life makes me think more about my life. I'm going to adjust it slightly for me. Right. When you shoot broad, yeah. buckshot, wide target whatever and if you're aiming broad yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i'm not talking about any specific film i'm just talking about like what your aim is of what you're doing if you're trying to get the most people yeah chances are or it's much much harder than i'd say the, the 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 bell curve gets real steep of how many people are going down i would say or i, I don't know <laughs> the less people you will affect intensely right. you might affect a ton of people minimally or moderately mm-hmm. but i feel like the wider shot you do the the thinner that range of really intense uh uh connection to a piece will be the other way which i think this movie does very very well is you're right there is specificity and not because we're relating to the yeah. thing specifically neither you and i uh I, or i can you know I, I have never been an 11 year old girl uh on vacation in turkey like uh i have not had that experience with my father um but because the emotions are so strong and tight and well executed you then start thinking of times where emotions being kind of ephemeral things that we all can relate to because eh, we all got them. Yeah. Um, then we can tie when when we see and are told and are experiencing something very strong that Sophie or Caleb is experiencing, we connect instantly back because we are selfish little monkeys and we go to our own brain where we're like, ooh, yes, and that connects regardless even if it was when I was 14 and it was with my uncle and uh it was on thanksgiving right. like it like there there's there's but when you do when you take that tighter shot that sniper shot uh i feel like you hit harder uh probably you 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 probably hit less people but you hit harder i think it's just an honesty in that as well in terms of like um 
Well, actually, yeah, right? Like, when you're aiming wide, the goal, you want to connect with people. You yeah, want your work you to be but seen you, by as many people as you can. But, but yeah. you are sacrificing specificity for numbers. And I think the point is that specificity in this particular case, so, like, the real, you know, the fact that the uh, that Callum does Tai Chi, the cost of this rug, <laughs> He's got a singing bunch of lessons, karaoke that he, you know, doesn't want to perform, um, the, the specific... Um, the, the period that this movie must've taken place in vacations was like probably the period I was growing up as well, because a lot of the music, you know, like all saints playing in the background was like, really? Oh yeah. That's a really specific time and place. The videotape of it all. Um, you know, I, I think those moments really do cause they, they're an invite They're What they are is a beautiful invitation to the audience. And, um, I'm not sure what the Maori word for this is, but there's a, there's a thing in, in New Zealand and Fijian culture, even, um, and Indian, I guess it's just like the movie is an invitation for you to reflect and for you to reflect on your own life. And, you know, like I'll say this again, like I, I don't know much about him. I had an uncle and he died before I was born. Um, and I, I actually don't know much about him at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother talked about him, you know, talks about him every now and again. Uh, he died very young and, you know, to put it in context, um, from my understanding though, details have not really ever been told to me directly. Mm-hmm. My, the impression I get is that he committed suicide. Right. Um, and uh, the stories I've heard about him just very loosely from my mother are like, you know, he was young. He, you know, we, we came from a small Island in Fiji and he was, uh, he had big city dreams. Uh, he was, you know, like a rock, you know, he listened to rock and roll music. He had long hair. Um, you know, there was just a lot of talk about him. And I, like I said, I, I don't know much about him. I, I don't think I've, I, I've seen photos of him as a kid, but I thought about him a lot during this movie. I thought about the specifics of what his life was like uh, in w- when I watched this movie. And I, and I thought a lot about, um, you know, uh, a few, was it about a month ago, maybe uh, Twitch, the, uh, the singer, uh, the, the dancer from Ellen um, passed away. Oh, uh, I'm not familiar. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, he passed away and, you know, like uh, I knew people who'd worked with him. And so everyone was very shocked and surprised by it. Um you know, under the same context as well. Um, and there's something, you know, uh, Barry Jenkins mentioned this in the, in the discussion that I listened to today, which is that, you know, we even see it in the, um, in the, uh, in the Fablemans, for example, there are a lot of movies made by male filmmakers about their mothers. There's not a lot of films made by female filmmakers about their fathers. And that, that makes it kind of a rare commodity in that, in that particular case. And I think this also taps into this thing about a father, um, which is that he's really struggling, but we don't know why. We don't know the stories around why he's struggling. And there's a moment- We kind of do. Well, I I think what we can do is we can piece together what's happened, but we don't really know. Um, 
we piece together a couple of things. One is that, again, he had her when she was very young. He is no longer with the mother. He doesn't live in the same town um, that, that she lives in anymore. There's that line he says, which is that there's this feeling when you grow up and you move away from the place that you're from that you don't really feel like you belong there anymore. And mm-hmm. coming from a guy who grew up in Fiji and then New Zealand and then revisited those places recently, boy, that hit me hard because I was like, yeah, I, those are my homes. Those are the places I'm from. But I also always feel like I'm an outsider there. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, that, that, I think that's the same for anybody. Tr- yeah. Truthful. I mean, yeah. it, when you move away. But yeah, yeah. Um, my, you know, my my beautiful thought about that is that my home now is with my family. Mm. And and wherever we are, <laughs> it's the line from Avatar. We are a fortress. No, um, <laughs> but wow. like, yeah, we you know wherever I, wherever my wife and you know I'll say her name because it, it feels weird to call her my wife. But wherever Shivali <laughs> and my son are, that's where home is. Um, you didn't want to do it with the Borat voice. Yeah, I didn't want my understand. wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, like I said, there's that moment where he is just resting his head. I I, I it just hit me really hard there's that moment where he's resting his head he's obviously made this decision to buy this 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 carpet uh this rug and he's just tired he just he doesn't Mm -hmm. you know like and and he lays down on this rug and a few scenes later we see that the grown-up sophie has the rug yep so we know that you know it, it it this rug took us you know traveled um and I, I I don't know what it was, but I got it. Yeah. Like I, no. I just I, I you know, like when he when he walks into the ocean, I just kinda got it. You know, because he's he's Oh, had... I didn't fuck that. Huh? I, I uh, no. Really? I was that was that was a terrifying moment for me. I I, I, I look, I'm not saying that it, it connected of course. Yeah. He he'd been drinking I, all day. Yeah. Um he wasn't feeling um the moments of connectiveness that he should have been that he felt like he should have been feeling. Yep. Um you know, there's the, we don't know exactly what happened to his hand, uh, he, you know, and she she asked him what happened. He says, I don't really, you know, I don't really remember, which meant that it probably happened in some sort of similar circumstances. Yep. He cuts open the hand and kind of fixates on the blood. Uh, he, cuts he also, yeah. yeah, he tries to hide a lot of stuff from Sophie, but yeah. Sophie's at the age where she's picking it up. Yeah. Like, like the, it's, it's funny. He has a lot of like actual emotional pain that is only hinted at and then he accidentally hurts himself and then like is quiet but still doesn't say anything and doesn't a doesn't tell sophie that he cut himself yeah b just sits there and bleeds yeah and you're like oh fuck there's also like there's just this again this beautiful moment uh you know it's it's devastating but where um she says you know some days you just you you feel like your bones don't work and you feel down (laughs) yeah and he he looks at himself in the mirror, and I think what he's worried about again as a parent sometimes you know like I worry about this all the time, is that your children are inheriting your flaws. Yeah. And he spits at himself. He he immediately spits at himself uh, in the mirror, and then the camera comes back to linger on it because you because you're like, did that happen? Did I did, like I because it you know the light turns off immediately, mm-hmm. uh, but then the camera lingers on it and we see it illuminated up through some lights outside. And, you know, I, again, I just got that he's just, he's concerned about, you know, like he wants to be there for his daughter. And I think he's, the thing that's sort of difficult to bear is that he's hanging on, you know, like he's that conversation he has with her on the water, which is like, uh, I want you to know that you can tell, you can, no matter what, you can always tell me about the boys you'll kiss, 
the drugs you'll take, you know, all that stuff. You can tell me about that stuff anytime. Yeah. And he's hanging on. But, you know, we see the postcard that he sent later on. That was probably the last postcard she ever got from him saying, I'll always love you. Yeah. Um, probably came with a rug. Probably came with the rug. And um, uh, the, one oh, sorry, element dude. that, uh, sorry, I just switch shifting gears ever so slightly, but I guess not really. Um, the thing that I liked as a, I won't call it a twist, but just like a reveal, mm -hmm. uh, was I thought initially that the, um, the, when it keeps flashing to the, the strobe effect on a dance floor, yeah, I thought that that was his wife. Right. In yeah. the beginning, I was like, oh, this is their relationship, yeah. like, whatever. And then when it went, like, then when you sort of, like, understand it's sort of the mind prison that Sophie has envisioned her father kind of in. Yeah. Uh, especially, fuck, man. The that last, last, last shot, shot where he walks into oh it. Oh, my God. So I, and again, Laura on the money. I was just I I was sitting alone and I just went oh no oh well <laughs> there, there's that mo the mo the final shot where he like closes the camera and walks off right no but I, the well, one where well, he well, kind of falls into the pit or falls no. into like some sort of the one where he opens the doors at the airport yeah or yeah whatever. that's what I mean yeah so yeah. I I think there's there's those two moments one is where he's at you know like the, the under pressure moment from Queen yeah. where he like falls. Um, and looks up, and she is there, and she is like both young and old. That was less resonant for me, Ooh, to be that, perfectly that honest. And no, that that worked, yeah, yeah. but yeah. that wasn't the oh fuck moment. The oh fuck moment was like because this is Sophie's story and memory, yeah. and because of all this, that's the last bit of her father. Yeah. He just walks into this entropic nightmare, yeah. and that's that. And you're just like, well, <laughs> fuck. Like, it, it, yeah, it yeah. was perfect. It was well played. It's it's really beautifully done. Um, I think, uh, yeah, just, just to that end, we, we don't, I, I, I don't think we know all the pieces of what is, you know, what his dilemma is, but I don't think there's one answer. And that's well, the point. Well, I mean, the, you know, the, depression the is, easiest is, one is depression, yeah. but the, I mean, well, let me rephrase, uh, a trillion things lead to depression. Yeah. And depression then has a trillion symptoms. So mm. if we're looking for a glue, depression's a pretty good bet. Yeah. Also, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, yeah. it, like, you know, that that was the kind of the feeling I got from as well as it didn't it didn't really matter what it was. Whatever it was, it was real to him. Um and um and I think again, uh, you know, it, there's that moment where he's crying by himself as well. Like we again, time loses a little, a little bit of uh, meaning here yeah, because, because it, we're jumping back and forth in time. Uh, again, Barry Jenkins confirmed this, but I like I thought this when I was watching it was that um, the movie that I thought about was Celine Sciamma's film Petite Maman, which was uh, uh, a movie about a young girl, uh, you know, much much younger. I think probably like seven years old, mm -hmm. uh, imagining that her mother is the same age as her. And having, having a com like the movie is basically her having a relationship with her mother at the same age. Right. And I think the, the reason why there was a psychic connection between this film and that was this idea that um, Sophie might be 31 now and is thinking about her father at the same age. You know, she has a baby. Um, yep. She is uh, married or, you know, has a partner um, and uh, is thinking about her father at the same age as she was in that time. And And I think there's, you know, like... And so beautifully, the the rave or the dance sequence as it is, 
is that it is a um, it's her shouting out to him. You know, like she sees him in the darkness and she's trying she's trying to reach out to him. And he's not you know, he's he's in his own world or he can relate now. And he's not there and he's not there. And um, it's again, I I come back to that thing that, you know, like which is that I I think um, the expected route would be to follow this film into the specifics of his death. And what this film instead does is follow the specifics of his absence through a visual metaphor, you know, and the, the specifics of his absence is this dance. There's this thing that he's in mm. that is not, you know, that's where she, she left him and yep. that's, and that's where he is now. And that's haunting and beautiful. And just like, that's what, a, that's, that's the power of cinema. I'm like, behold cinema. You know, like, like movies are not, um, you know, in the Fablemans, uh, you know, you've got the dad on one side saying movies are 24 frames per second and we create the persistence of vision, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, uh, you know, the mother says movies are dream. I like dreams, um, that you can, uh, that you can navigate or something along those lines. You can keep in your pocket. I don't don't know. I can't remember what it is. And the movies are like dreams and this is like a dream. I'll tell you, I had some fucked up dreams after watching After Sun. Really? Yeah. Well, anything? Uh, No, I don't remember much of them. It was family oriented. It was weird. There was a lot of oddities in it. Uh, Not, I wouldn't say like nightmarish, Mm. but like just, you know when you wake up and you're like, fuck, what the hell? Yeah. Like, it was a lot of that. So again, kudos to hitting the subconscious. Yeah. uh, Because again, I feel like the heart got it way before the head did, at least in my case. Um, um, remember when we talked again this is a, a an A24 thing like there is this quality you know A24 has got the most studio nominations this year uh, with everything everywhere all at once I think there's a thing about A24 and A24 is kind of built like almost a cult like fandom now you know people get sure. A24 tattoos there's A24 merch and what have you Will um, owns all of it yeah 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 that's right um, shout out to Will Temford <laughs> um, but I think there's uh, a real courage required in order to make a film like this with a first-time filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And we saw it in both... Everything Everywhere All at Once is not a first-time film, but we saw it in Ariasta's Hereditary as well. You yeah. know, like, a real courage to say, the visual metaphor matters here. And it's really, like... I, I, I'm coming across a lot of people that will tell you no because they, have, they need a reason to tell you no. And it doesn't feel like A24 is... A24 is, like, kind of feels like to me like a place where they tell you, maybe, or why not? Let's try it. You know, well, like, A24 didn't make this though, right? They did. They produced this. Did they? Yeah. Uh, I didn't there was see their fun, thing uh, in the they're distributing it. They have a home oh, for it. And, and, it. and um, they may have financed it in some part uh, because of uh, Barry Jenkins' involvement. Uh, A24 mm. also produced Moonlight. Um, the BFI, uh, uh, British Film Institute, and the Lotteries Grant uh, in the UK. Uh, funded this film as well as the Scottish Lotteries Grant as well. Um, oh, so yeah, they're, they're just distributing. I don't think they did anything else, but that's nothing wrong with that. Well, again, Barry Jenkins acquires was, the rights, uh, and, and Barry Jenkins as a producer probably had some involvement in terms of sure. making sure that financing and, and distribution distribution doesn't mean that you don't have creative input. Sure. Um, so uh, yeah, I uh, I think it takes a lot of courage to make a film like this, and it's like. Films should be courageous, you know. Films. <laughs> I feel like I'm an old man sitting on the uh, sitting on the pins, but like films should be bold and courageous and weird and fucked up and strange and visual and minute. And again, that thing that I thought about a lot: make small, tiny moments feel enormous. Like magnify them. 
And that's what this film does. Um, so I, would you say? Would you say these small, tiny, magnified moments that are extremes of things could be sussed out into one specific thought, possibly that of a liquid that would be similar to that inside of the sun? But no, it's what you turn into when you drink this fruity, delicious beverage in a pouch that you have to stab nine times with a plastic straw that breaks Capri Sun. That, I think so. <laughs> that really does feel like everything, everywhere, all at once is ba- everything bagel. Yeah. That's yeah. that's what you got to. You got to the Capri Sun of After Sun. We went full circle. This has been the only podcast about the film After Sun. Shahir, when you aren't trying to follow the broken shatterings of my analogies, where can <laughs> folks find you? You can find me deciphering all the metaphors at my website, www.shahirdad.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are buying all the A24 merch you can get your sweet little hands on, where can people find you? You can find me robbing Will's house at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or P-S-N on Twitter. Wait, P-S-N on Twitter. P-S-N on Twitter. M-S-K on Twitter. <laughs> P-S-N's on Twitter. What? Uh, also, check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits. Uh, ooh, by the time this drops, y'all, last one for a while. Last so you haven't read for a little bit uh, for novels and, and literature. We're doing Snow Crash. Okay. And it's fucking dope. I, uh, I read Snow Crash out. a long time. Neil Stevenson, right? Or yeah. Neil, yeah. Uh, and uh, holy shit, mm-hmm. what a good episode to go out on. We're, we are bringing back uh, a different show okay. in its stead. Uh, so check that out. Uh, and then next week, there'll be a movie. <laughs> it's like That's like our tagline at this point. Well, uh, I, I think All Quiet on the Western Front is one that we should probably take a look at. I guess. So So can I talk about that real quick? About All Quiet on the Western Front? Yeah, I have zero desire to watch it. I understand it's great. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I'll do it. <laughs> I just want to say out loud, <laughs> I don't want to watch it. Okay. Noted. Um <laughs> So if that's what we do, cool. I I, I I know very little about it other than it is an anti-war film from the German perspective uh, this time around. Because All Quiet on the Western Front has been adapted yep. uh, many times before. Um, like, so- premise sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. The buzz sounds like it's a great film. Mm-hmm. I, You know what it is, weirdly enough? I, I think I could put it down. The poster. Oh, okay. I'm so, I'm so sick of sad, tired, young war man on a poster. <laughs> I, I, it, it, nothing dries up my interest faster than that. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm reading a biography of Fellini right now. Okay. And there's a line in it, I think it's about Alan Rene or someone else, where they're talking about the idea that the filmmakers of the 60s and 70s were looking back at the revolutionary and political films of the 40s. Okay. And reminiscing on the fact that all that political art couldn't stop wars from happening. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an interesting idea. Um, that, that you know, we make anti-war films because we don't want that to happen again. But despite our best efforts, and, and I think Truffaut said something along these lines, which is that no film can ever be a, an anti-war film because displaying war inherently... Um, Creates an atmosphere where war yeah. is acceptable, I guess. Um, I would, I would much rather see Triangle of Sadness. We should certainly see Triangle of Sadness. I, I mean, I think we should see them all. Gotta uh, watch them all. Is what else have we? What else have we missed out on the Best Picture run? Uh, I think the only thing is Women Talking, which Great. I'd also rather see than. All but let's see them. Let's let's do them. 
Well, we have a couple. We'll, we'll talk schedule after the fact. We have a couple other things coming up as well. So, uh, yeah, you, you we'll figure some, it out. You got some Ant Man in there that you wanna you wanna shake uh, up? Yeah, that's 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 one of them. Uh, but the week of that can de- can be debated. Can, you know how last week uh, we talked about watching the menu and watching it just for ourselves, where yeah. we didn't have to talk about it on the show. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you like to do that with Ant Man? No, really. No, like we're talking just like about, I'm just going to talking go see it about and enjoy the it. Marvel. Talking about the Marvel movie is half of the enjoyment of the Marvel movie. Okay, because I think I would enjoy it more if I didn't ah, have to I talk see, about I it. See. You know, like if I just, if I didn't have to like a whole because because well, I'll trade your all's quiet on the rest of <laughs> yeah, trade me all quiet on the rest of <laughs> Ant Man versus Quantumania. All right, well, let's see how this all shakes out. I Write have... us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us, uh, should we go to Quantum Mania or to Wartime Germany? Well, we have two weeks at least before Quantum Mania, so I think we'll, we have plenty of time to go to war. <laughs> um, you know, not with just with Kang. But we do, and and while we have our Best of episode, we also do like to see all the Best for, for, uh, best Picture nominees, right? Yep, before the yep, Oscars. Yep. So we still got that. Well. Uh, and I was looking, I was just looking at the calendar. So the Oscars are, let's do some planning right now. The Oscars are March 12th. 12th, 13th, yeah. Uh, and so we have one, two, three, four, five, six, six episodes still before the Oscars. So hey. we can definitely get in the three best picture noms that we do not have. Yeah. Uh, we can get in Ant Man and then two other fucking wackadoo nonsense films. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. I, I will not, I, I want to talk about Violent Night, but we'll wait for next Christmas. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, everybody, thanks so much for lending us your ear holes for this uh, emotionally driven episode. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk at you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.